You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that the brain chemical that's missing in Parkinson's disease is probably responsible for its own demise. I'm talking about dopamine. It's a neurotransmitter that keeps your body movements fluid. It can kick off a toxic chain reaction that kills the nerve cells that make dopamine, at least according to some new research. What the scientists who did this discovered is that there may be a way of treating the estimated 10 million people with Parkinson's. Those are the diagnosed ones. There's a lot of people who are on the way to Parkinson's who aren't diagnosed yet. And what they're proposing is that if you can make less cellular damage in the brain by treating the neurons early on with antioxidants, you can probably prevent the damage from too much dopamine. The scary part about this too is that if you're doing things that spike your dopamine a lot and very frequently, then you may be actually wearing these cells out more. So this may be a reason to think about porn, gambling, uh, high sugar diets, uh, cocaine, and all the other bad habits that you may or may not have uh, that affect your dopamine systems. You don't want to be a low dopamine person because if you have no dopamine, you hate your life. But if you spike your dopamine all the time, you might not have as long of a life as you'd probably like, unless, of course, you hack that with the right selective use of antioxidants. Now, speaking of antioxidants, the number one antioxidant in the brain and certainly in the liver is something called glutathione. And Bulletproof makes something called glutathione force. And we like to call this the body's master antioxidant. And it's something that doesn't absorb through the gut very well. And after several years of making bad tasting syringes of this stuff, we actually got it into a form that can absorb through the gut using capsules. It's called glutathione force. I take it when I travel and I take it several times a week. You can check it out at bulletproof.com. It's called Glutathione Force. Real super amazing name there. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. All right. If you like today's podcast or any other podcast, if you go to bulletproof.com slash iTunes, you can leave a review, which would make me exceptionally happy because, hey, people pay attention uh, to reviews quite a lot, actually. So thank you if you take a second to do that. Today's guest is a guy I met more than a year ago at the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, uh, where I was giving a, a keynote presentation uh, as a non-physician talking to 3,000 physicians. Uh, I might have uh, I, I might have been... Uh, batting outside my normal, whatever you say that when you're batting, whatever, outside my normal zone. Uh, anyway, it was, uh, I was, I was punching outside my weight class. There we go. Anyway, it was amazing to, to talk with a lot of physicians about mitochondrial stuff. And the guy who impressed me the most was actually on, on the floor there by the Bulletproof booth where Tyler came up and this guy just knew everything there was to know about what I like to call the next nitric oxide. 
uh, nitric oxide didn't really, it wasn't known as a gas that mattered in the human body till about 10, 15 years ago. And now it's you know a huge thing. We talk about healthy arteries and blood flow and one of the mechanisms why Viagra and its natural alternatives also work. But there's a new gas that's coming out for biohacking. It turns out it's always been important, but it's so ephemeral in the body that basically science missed it, especially science in the US, but not in Japan. And Tyler's like a walking dictionary of everything ever known about hydrogen. And in fact, I just mentioned his first name. Uh, Tyler LeBaron is his name. And Tyler, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Dave, for having me uh, be here. This is a great opportunity. When I met you, you said, oh, I'm the executive director of the Molecular Hydrogen Foundation. And I'm like, oh, great. Like This guy's probably a little bit out there. But you actually worked in Japan at Nagoya University, the Department of Neurogenetics, to look at cell signaling pathways. And you're a director of the International Hydrogen Standards Association. And you actually know everything you're talking about. And I would say there's about zero, uh, zero mysticism in your work and a huge amount of science. Why do you care so much about hydrogen? Like, how did you get into this? Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, great, great question. I, my, my background is in biochemistry. And so I went to Japan to research the mechanisms of how hydrogen is actually working. Because we're seeing in all these studies, whether they be cell studies or animal studies or the human studies, that hydrogen is really having this therapeutic effects. But the mechanism of exactly how has always been very interesting to me. So I actually came across this in 2009. I've always been interested in, in health and wellness, exercise performance, just the, the next thing and read a lot of different books and things. And then I came across molecular hydrogen. Actually, it was I came across an article published in Nature Medicine in 2007, which showed that hydrogen was therapeutic and it could suppress brain damage. And I was, well, wow, this, this is very interesting. And I, ever since that, in 2009, I, I read all the articles and then had the opportunity to go to Japan and actually do research. And since then, I've continued my research and collaboration with universities and uh, different groups and institutes all throughout the world and and throughout China and Europe and, and elsewhere. So you just you, you got into it because you care a lot about biochemistry and you found this kind of unknown an unknown thing. But when you met me, you said, Dave, there's 800 studies in Japan about hydrogen gas. And I consider myself reasonably well-educated as a biohacker. And I hang out with these anti-aging guys who are always you know 10 plus years ahead of, of everything else. And I had not come across anything to do with hydrogen uh, as an antioxidant. Uh, or as a signaling molecule, can you tell our listeners why is why does it matter? Like 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 why is this so revolutionary? Yeah, no, absolutely, and and that's the thing. It's it is strange at first, at least when you consider that hydrogen gas could exert any of these therapeutic effects, and we're seeing the anti-inflammatory effects, anti-allergy type effects, antioxidant-like effects. Number of the clinical trials, very positive effects. But just going back to this idea from the standpoint that hydrogen, the, the first element in existence, right, this, this neutral diatomic gas that is so prevalent and is so simple and is essentially biologically inert would have a therapeutic effect. It's, it's strange. When, when you, okay, you mentioned nitric oxide just earlier. And, the, and, and those decades ago in the 1980s, 1970s, there was this idea that there was this endothelial-derived releasing factor, relaxing factor, was responsible for all these benefits, and then it was suggested that it was nitric oxide, a gas, 
And that was met with some pretty harsh skepticism. You know, how could a gas do this? Well, nitric oxide is a gas and it could do that. And we know the mechanisms of how it works. Well, a lot of them anyways, it's a free radical. It's very reactive. So it can do this. And other gases like carbon monoxide, a very polar, very strong molecule, or hydrogen sulfide, another gaseous molecule. But then when you look at hydrogen gas, this is just a neutral, simple molecule, and yet it exerts these therapeutic effects. It is very curious, very strange to, 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 to biologists, to biochemists, how can this have this effect? And so that, that's really is why I has been so interested in understanding and researching the mechanisms be, behind hydrogen. What does hydrogen do in our biology? Okay, great. So as I mentioned, hydrogen has some many effects. The, the effects are multiple. So first we can talk about, say, the anti-inflammatory effects. And in order to understand this, we need to talk a little bit about what causes inflammation. And inflammation can be caused from various pro-inflammatory mediators such as pro-inflammatory cytokines, those like interleukin-6, interleukin-2, interleukin-12. These are various cytokines that promote inflammation. And that's the swelling, that's the pain, that's the, the slow end of recovery and different things. Of course, they're also, the same inflammation is also important for mediating the, the benefits of, say, exercise training or, or the healing or recovery. We need a small amount of inflammation in order to cause this healing effect. So we need base levels of, of inflammation. But when uh, we have a dysregulation of that inflammation, such as what happens with aging or various diseases, you get into a state where you have chronic basal levels or chronic low levels of inflammation. And that's when you have like arthritis and a lot of you know, swelling and just problems. But yet you also have a slow inflammatory response to, say, uh, some sickness. So you, don't, you, you get sick easier or you don't heal very fast. And so you have that dysregulation, dysregulation of inflammation. And hydrogen really shines in its ability to bring back the inflammation to homeostasis. So it can help to downregulate these pro-inflammatory mediators that are excessive and bring them back into the normal range. Or perhaps in other cases, in the initial stage, it can actually in, increase or in, enhance the pro-inflammatory mediators. And we've seen this from several studies. Uh, for example, hydrogen can indirectly activate NFKB, which is a transcription factor. And when NFKB binds to the DNA in, in the nucleus, then NFKB induces the transcription of various cytokines. Well, some of these studies have shown that hydrogen can in the initial stage, actually activates NFKB, and then you have a slight, mild, transient increase in inflammation, followed by a decrease of inflammation that is systemic, and, and now you have improved the benefits for many of these, these various diseases that, that we're talking about. Don't we all breathe hydrogen every day anyway? You're right. Hydrogen is already in the atmosphere, but at a very low concentration, about 0.000055% of the atmosphere is composed of hydrogen gas. So not enough to be therapeutic. But it also is natural in our body because of our intestinal bacteria. Our intestinal bacteria actually produce hydrogen gas. And we, as we metabolize the fibers, the non-digestible carbohydrates, the bacteria produces hydrogen gas, and that in turn dissolves into our blood, it's in our breath. So we always have base levels of hydrogen gas all the time but small amounts of additional hydrogen gas are effective, are therapeutic. When you say effective and therapeutic, 
okay, so my, my NF kappa beta levels go down, right? Okay. <laughs> sure. So what, what, <laughs> what, what, what does that mean? <laughs> okay, so, so if we look at some of the, the clinical studies and some of the animal studies, again, hydrogen is still very much in its infancy. Okay, we, we don't have, you know, 20, 30 years of clinical research with hundreds and hundreds of studies. It's in its infancy. There's, there's just over a thousand publications on, on molecular hydrogen and its uh, medical benefits. But what we're seeing, for example, we look at the, the human studies, for example, I mentioned uh, inflammation and its connection with arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. Well, there was a study published in 2012 and some other ones in 2013 and 14, where they, they showed in a double-blinded, placebo-controlled, randomized uh, fashion that the ingestion of hydrogen-rich water was very significant at improving the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis and decreasing the markers of oxidative stress, like OHDG, which is a marker of DNA damage, insomuch that some of the patients with early-stage rheumatoid arthritis, they actually had a complete remission of, of the disease. They're, they're markers of the acetylated uh, proteins, for example, that are markers of the rheumatoid arthritis disease were back to a normal level as, as though they did not have the disease anymore. And so this is very powerful. It's being followed up right now with about a, another study with near 170 or so patients uh, to really show the effects in the rheumatoid arthritis. And, and we see other ones, for example, oh, you mentioned Parkinson's disease at, at the beginning of this podcast. Well, one of the very first uh, diseases that hydrogen was shown to be effective was in Parkinson's disease in an animal model. And in fact, that is how um, uh, Dr. Kinjiona, one of our advisors on Molecular Hydrogen Foundation Institute, uh, got, got started was because he saw the effects of hydrogen gas in Parkinson's disease. And, and let me sh tell you what, what happened. So he was approached about this idea of hydrogen gas being therapeutic and you could dissolve it in water and it could be therapeutic and of course Nagoya University is the fifth most prestigious university in, in, throughout Japan so it's, it's very reputable and so he was very skeptical as a, as a biologist about this but he wanted to try it and so he did a, a study and he found and it was repub published in 2012 that ingestion of hydrogen rich water prevented the development of Parkinson's disease and, and this was also found by Dr. Noda, also one of our advisors. As she found and published it actually in 2009, as she, she induced a Parkinson's disease in an animal model using a toxin, 6-hydroxydopamine. And the, the benefits of the hydrogen are very clear. The ingestion of hydrogen-rich water completely prevented the development of Parkinson's disease in this animal model. And this is that was a powerful article, and she was, she's a great researcher at Kyushu University. She used to research at Rockefeller University, for example. But these animal studies and, and, and several others then spawned the, a, a pilot study. It was a small study, about 100 patients. It was a double-blinded, placebo-controlled, randomized trial. And similarly, they found those patients who were in drinking hydrogen-rich water had a, a lower disease rating of the Parkinson's disease. They, they showed improvements and they didn't decrease as much as those in control. And now they're finalizing their a three, a, nearly a three-year uh, clinical trial with a few hundred patients on Parkinson's disease and looking at the effects of drinking hydrogen-rich water in that study as well. So the clinical studies are really starting to catch up and, and show that what we see in these animal studies really is 
showing promise in, in humans as well. So that's just a few of the diseases that have been shown so far to be effective in, in clinical studies. What about the rest of us who don't have Parkinson's or arthritis? That That is probably even more important if you want to talk about hygiene from a, from a standpoint of total biohacking and prevention, if you will. If you look, if you remember what I said about those, those studies, they induced Parkinson's disease and they were drinking hydrogen-rich water. So they, the drinking of hydrogen-rich water as a pretreatment prevented the development of the Parkinson's disease. And we need to remember that many of these diseases are multifactorial, not only genetic and not only environmental. And as we have these epigenetic changes that occur, that can induce the genesis or the initiation of various diseases. And potentially by drinking hydrogen-rich water, the idea anyway, at least we see some, some evidence from animal studies, could lead to, to the prevention or the prolonging the inevitable, if you will, in developing the, these diseases. So hygiene is, is a great way to go if you're talking about ways of, of prevention. We, we also just did a study in, in for autism. So we, we took and induced a autism disease in, in an animal model with a toxin, valachloric acid, and we showed that the drinking of hydrogen-rich water was also effective at ameliorating the autism-type symptoms. So we see in many studies where, where we, we, there's a preventive-type idea. And another way we can look at it is even if we consider a stress as a factor that, that can initiate many diseases, well, we also published an article that just recently in Scientific Reports uh, just a couple of months ago, and we showed that drinking of hydrogen-rich water helped to prevent the anxiety and depressive-like behavior of, of the animals that were suffering acute and chronic stress. And so, again, hydrogen-rich water just helping the, the, in the daily life with the daily stresses that we all face. All right. So then how would you go about getting more hydrogen into your life? <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there's a number of ways to do it. There's, there's quite a few ways. And in fact, uh, one of the first ways was uh, done using hyperbaric hydrogen therapy. So, of course, we're familiar with the hyperbaric oxygen. But you could do the same with a hyperbaric hydrogen. And, uh, and one of the first studies to report its beneficial effects was actually published in the Journal of Science in 1975 by Texas A&M and Baylor University. And they found that, they, that uh, transplanted melanoma tumors could be greatly reduced by the treatment of hyperbaric hydrogen therapy. But that didn't really come to, to practice the clinical side of things because it's a little diff difficult to do a hyperbaric therapy because hydrogen is explosive and you need to be very careful. So, so it didn't really catch on so, so quickly. But when that article was published in 2007 and they showed that inhalation of hydrogen gas at only a, a 2 to 4% concentration was also therapeutic, that's when the research really started to increase a lot. And so inhalation, of course, is one of them. And also, like I mentioned, the drinking of simply, simply drinking hydrogen-rich water. How much atmospheric pressure were they using in the, in the tank when they were doing hyperbaric hydrogen? They, in that animal study, I believe they're around eight atmospheres, eight atmospheric pressure yeah. at 90 
7.3% hydrogen and the rest oxygen. So if you do the molar ratio, you're still at the same amount of oxygen. But yeah, very high concentration. So that's like like four times what the hard-sided tanks that we use for treating Alzheimer's and brain injury are. So this is something that pretty much isn't going to be happening at a mall near you anytime soon. Not at that concentration. However, I was in Japan earlier this year and they actually do have a hyperbaric hydrogen tank. It's you can you can buy it for your clinic. And it does about 2 or 3% hydrogen, maybe 1.5 atmospheric pressure. So it's a new thing. I'm not sure how effective it is. I haven't seen any clinical studies with that method yet. Actually, I was in Poland earlier this year also, and one of the doctors, have, he, he converted his house into a hyperbaric hydrogen home. So you go in and has the chambers and, and they, the, different, the different doors, and you, you can close one of them, and you feel all the pressure changes and the differential, and they walk into the other one, and he has this, his home is converted to about a, uh, 1% to 2% uh, hydrogen gas. I want to visit this guy. That, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard of. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's pretty sweet. Are there clinics now taking just normal hyperbaric oxygen chambers and pumping hydrogen in? Like, I have a couple hyperbaric chambers floating around Bulletproof Labs here at my house. I have a hydrogen uh, concentrator because after meeting you, I'm like, I need to get one of these things, the hydrogen inhaler that makes about 6% hydrogen gas. And by the way, if you're listening to this, you're like, what, what the heck all is Dave doing? Well, I do all sorts of weird stuff. But one of them is uh, when I'm working on my next book late at night, I'm breathing hydrogen gas through my nose because, hey, who doesn't do that late at night, right? Under red lights. <laughs> so can I do this in my hyperbaric? And I mean, a lot of people listening actually have access to these things. You know, you may be able to. Um, I'm not sure of any clinics that are already doing this. Again, you have to be careful because hydrogen gas is explosive when it gets above the you know 4.6% concentration. And but hydrogen does have a very high rate of uh, its diffusivity is very high, so uh, there is some safety with that. Um, the other thing is, which is is that going to, for example, if your whole house is hyperbaric hydrogen, it may not be as effective um, as as say drinking hydrogen-rich water or intermittent inhalation because really hydrogen works more as a as a gaseous signal modulator than it does as an antioxidant. And because of that, a continuous exposure of molecular hydrogen may not be as effective because you get attenuation or habituation of the signal, which is common with, with many gaseous or, or other signal modulators in general. So maybe we don't want to all live in houses that are pressurized like spaceships full of hydrogen gas. Uh, and plus that's kind of inconvenient and certainly you wouldn't want to smoke or I guess at those levels, you're not going to have flammability, but okay. So we have these, we'll call them innovators uh, and biohackers who are doing some, some interesting stuff there. But for the rest of us, uh, you can get a hydrogen inhaler. You can, uh, I have a machine over here. I've been playing around with different stuff that makes hydrogen rich water. You can buy cans of hydrogen water. You get tablets you put in water and drink. So, so this is essentially a, a next generation of a, a type of supplement. But, but when you take it, what do people feel uh, after they say drink hydrogen rich water? Well, because hydrogen is so light, they usually feel lighter. They start to float up in the air. Nice. <laughs> they talk in a squeaky voice too. This is my right? ultimate yeah. dream. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you inhale pure hydrogen, you do get that change in the voice. If it's pure, of course, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but but this isn't pure. This is, you know, 6% hydrogen at most uh, in the air and in the water is what, 2 to 4% hydrogen? Well, it's difficult because you have to, you can't necessarily compare a 6% from the air and then a 6% to yeah. the, because your units are totally different, right? So it's, Really, it's best to refer to hydrogen in terms of milligrams per liter in, in water. 
And when people drink it, of course, everybody is different. For some people, they really, they really do report anecdotally. They feel a, a rush of mental clarity, of energy, of being able to continue, like with exercise performance. There's, there's some studies on exercise performance we could talk about, but everybody's different. Some people may not experience anything at all. Other people, they may need to take hydrogen for a few months, especially if talking about like a, an, a chronic disease. Hydrogen, as a signal modulator, alters gene expression. And it takes time to induce like PGC1 alphas and a number of different changes. And those small changes over time lead to very significant improvements. Because hydrogen is so mild, it's, it's, it's non-toxic, where you're, most people may not see a dramatic change in, in, their, in their feeling or their behavior. But I, if you are maybe out of homeostasis, maybe you are suffering from some type of disease or you're just, your body's out of homeostasis for whatever reason, and hydrogen really helps to bring things back into homeostasis, whether it be your, your levels of free radicals and antioxidants or your levels of inflammation they are more susceptible, in my opinion, to experience something from hydrogen therapy. I can say I do feel like a, a kind of a subtle boost of energy, but it's not like drinking a cup of coffee. That's for sure when I when I play with hydrogen. But I like to use it after I come back from a trip or if I'm under uh, basically just a, a higher oxidation load because I want to read through some of the papers you sent. One of the most harmful free radicals it's called peroxynitrite, and this, hap- this forms inside your cells, inside your mitochondria, as you're turning food and air into electrons to use in the body. And uh, high levels of peroxynitrite cause all sorts of problems, and hydrogen, whether you're breathing it or drinking it, goes in and selectively turns off that oxidative free radical, but it doesn't turn off the other oxidative radicals that you actually need to tell your cells to keep growing. So if, if you were to take like a blanket antioxidant and take it, uh, regularly, it's going to suppress your ability to essentially burn food for fuel. But if you turn off the most harmful things, it's kind of like having a smoke scrubber. Tell me if you like this analogy or not. Like a, a smoke scrubber on your chimney that takes out the worst parts of the smoke, but doesn't put out clean air entirely. You like that? Am I onto something here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're yeah we're working on it. <laughs> okay, that would be a no. But, but you're but you're right. That that's the really neat thing about hydrogen is it is it's selective. It's able to help attenuate the excessive oxidation without uh, attenuating the important free radicals. So uh, hy- the hydroxyl radical, uh, perioxynitrite, uh, those are very dangerous oxidants. Perioxynitrite is not actually a radical. It's a very uh, oxidizing molecule. The hydroxyl radical is similarly, it's actually the most cytotoxic and most reactive radical. And because hydrogen is it's so small, it's able to diffuse through the biomembranes of the, of the cell into the mitochondria, the nucleus, really easier than anything else. Because it, it's, it's just it's the smallest molecule, smaller than oxygen is. And it's able to selectively reduce or decrease those levels. It, it's likely not done via direct radical scavenging. In other words, may not be a, through a direct reaction if you look at the rate constants of, of the hydrogen gas and hydroxyl radicals. But its selective reduction of those radicals is very critical. And that was shown in the 2007 Nature Medicine publication that hydrogen was selective in its ability to simply only decrease those types of ROS, reactive oxygen species, not the other ones. Because like nitric oxide, that is a free radical. That's how the Viagra works. That's all these things that you mentioned earlier. Uh, we don't want to neutralize that. Uh, superoxide, anion radical, hydrogen peroxide, these are all very important uh, signaling molecules. And 
In fact, when we exercise, we increase our levels of these reactive oxygen species, and these reactive oxygen species are in turn what mediate a lot of the benefits of exercise training. They're, they're what induce mitochondrial biogenesis and increased vascularization. And as some various uh, reports have shown that ingestion of high levels of exogenous antioxidants can actually negate the benefits of exercise training. And perhaps some of that is due to the scavenging or neutralization of these critical signaling molecules. And so when it comes to hydrogen, it doesn't do that. It's only going to bring things back to that homeostasis that we need. And in fact, in some cases, hydrogen can act as a prooxidant. One article published recently showed that H2 acts as a mitochormetic effector. In other words, it, it, the my, mito meaning mitochondria, and it actually showed that it transiently increased superoxide production in the mitochondria as, as measured through mitosox, and we, well, we guess we're going to go into all that, but <laughs> it transiently increased the superoxide production just initially, and a little bit of hydroperoxide, and then you quickly saw an upregulation of the NRF2 pathway, which is a transcription factor that you get higher levels of glutathione, which is the master antioxidant that you mentioned earlier. In fact, hacking NRF2 is a big part of what's in Headstrong and in the Bulletproof Diet. Uh, some of you can do with coffee, some of you can do with ketosis. Uh, a lot of the practices out there raise NRF2. And if you want to live a long time, you want more NRF2. There's probably an upper limit where you don't want that, but I don't there, think there we've is. discovered it. They, that, that's a good point. There is. You, you, you know, one great way to upregulate NRF2 is just to start smoking or something. If you have strong toxins, you're going to upregulate things, and you can do it too much, and you, you can have problems. You can have a reductive stress just as you can have oxidative stress. So taking very powerful, potent, uh, molecules that can constitutively upregulate NRF2 pathway could be bad. Taking things more mild, things that are found in food, uh, of course, hydrogen, for example, that is going to only increase the NRF2 pathway to the levels it's supposed to be, to that homeostatic level where it's supposed to be. And that, that's when you talk about anti-aging and longevity, because you're staying in, in the, the homeostasis. Uh, very well put. So now, I mentioned earlier, there's all these different form factors. You can breathe it, you can drink it, tablets and all that stuff. How would someone listening who's interested in, quote, trying hydrogen, how the heck do you know what works? And hydrogen is a small molecule. It seems like it's going to you know, essentially escape from most containers I can think of. So you know, if you were to buy a bottle of hydrogen water that's already out there, does it need to be in glass? Does it need to be in aluminum? Does it need like a special spaceship force field around it? I'm, I'm kidding, but... You know, how do they keep it in there, uh, and should we consider maybe tablets, and how do you know if those are good? Like, kind of walk me through the decision tree that I would go through if I was saying, all right, I want to try this. I don't want to spend thousands of dollars and you know, right. convert my house into a spaceship. So, <laughs> well, so Sure. So, so here's some general guidelines. You know, we, we don't represent or sell or promote or recommend any specific products, but, but there are some general guidelines you should be cognizant of. First off, you're right, hydrogen gas is the smallest molecule, so it's going to diffuse quite quickly through your plastic container. So if you see in a store uh, hydrogen water in a plastic bottle, rest assured, by the time it gets to you, by the time it gets to the shelf, it's not going to have any more hydrogen gas in it. You can do it with CO2 gas, but CO2 is a lot bigger than hydrogen gas. So plastic's not gonna work. You do actually require some sort of aluminum container there are some pouches, cans also. And now with the regulations and different things, 
typically everything will have that, uh, some sort of a liner so you don't have the direct contact of the water or the beverage onto the aluminum itself. But the aluminum, the physical chemical properties of aluminum are such that it prevents the hydrogen gas from escaping uh, out, of the, out of the container. So there are options for ready-to-drink hydrogen products. And then, of course, there are the hydrogen-producing tablets that, that they, they can work great as well. And there's other ways. Now, as far as to know, was this a real product or not, you can also test it. You can buy the uh, H2Blue, which is a redox titration reagent and from h2sciencesinc.com. Yeah, I've got a bottle over there, right? So okay. you, you can test whether, whether what you get works if you want to be geeky about it, okay? It, exactly. It's just it's just a, just a titration reagent. It has methylene blue with some colloidal platinum as a catalyst, and it'll actually, you can use it to measure the concentration of hydrogen. Okay, very cool. Uh, so I, I don't know that I'm in a position to recommend, you know, go out and buy something right now, uh, I can tell you that the breathing the gas seems to work from the the name of the inhaler. It's like uh, a Miz, M-I-Z, I think. Uh, and we had eight of these at the Bulletproof Conference. So a lot of people who came to the Bulletproof Conference in Pasadena in October uh, got to actually experience breathing some hydrogen for a little while. So who needs oxygen bars when you've got a hydrogen bar, right? There's, there's always an upgrade. You know, and, and inhalation is very interesting when you want to compare what's better, for example, is it inhalation or is it drinking hydrogen-rich water? And the research is still debatable, but I wanted to mention a couple of things about inhalation that's pretty cool. First off, the, the, the Japanese, so you understand, the Japanese government is actually very strict, more strict than our government. And so for them to do anything, they need approvals every step of the way. Well, the Japanese government recently gave the approval for hydrogen inhalation as an advanced medicine to treat post-cardiac arrest patients. So they can use this in hospitals. And they are doing a major study right now, about 360 patient study, maybe 20 different hospitals, and they're, they're using hydrogen gas to treat post-cardiac arrest. Because what they're finding is when you, okay, so if you have a heart attack, when you restart the heart and the blood goes through the brain, you get the ischemic reperfusion injury. You get all the oxygen-rich blood goes to the brain. You, you end up causing lots of free radicals and damage and inflammation. And hydrogen in animal studies have shown to be superior to even hypothermia and other conventional treatments. And hydrogen, of course, is very safe. There's no, there's no toxicity with it. It's very easy to administer. And so this has now been, a, been applied to humans. And so far, the preliminary results are very positive. And so that's an ongoing study right now. It's a very, a very major advancement in, in the research. And then another really great one is with cerebral infarction, like, like a stroke. Uh, there was a study published a few months ago with uh, 50 patients, is double-blinded, randomized, and 25 in each group. And they compared inhalation of hydrogen to the control. And what was the control? It wasn't placebo. It was the currently approved medicine. Okay, they, got, they actually got the approval to compare it head-to-head with an approved medicine in, in Japan. And the results were quite clear. Hydrogen was significantly more effective. And what was the medicine it was going up against? I don't remember. I think it was Edaravone, if, if I remember correctly. Wow. Does this mean that maybe people doing head impact sports like football should be sniffing hydrogen, especially if they whack their head? 
Well, in my opinion, because hydrogen is safe, I absolutely think so. Um, Dr. Banks, one of our MHF advisors from the University of Washington, uh, he published a study in 2012, or no, maybe it was a little more recent than 2014, but it was on traumatic brain injury. And it was at, but they used drinking hydrogen-rich water. It was an animal study, but very powerful results with decreasing the, the markers of apoptosis, the the increased energy production, the ATP, so you don't be able to attenuate the damage a lot faster, is, is quite powerful in what in what they show. And there's several studies showing showing this area. So when it comes to the high impact sports and the brain damage, not only maybe a good idea to inhale hydrogen or drink hydrogen-rich water after it happens, but if it were me, uh, I would be drinking or taking the hydrogen before be as a preventative measure. <laughs> Is this pre-treatment, I think, is the way to go. And I think it's with everything. We, there, there was another article talking about like uh, cellular senescence, or basically premature uh, cell death. In this study, they found that the environmental toxin, it was a, it was a type of plastic, a very common you know, plastic we're exposed to all the time, but it increases cell death and, and cell, cellular senescence, apoptosis, uh, decreases the ratio of NAD plus NADH, all these things are very bad for your health. Well, they showed that pre-treatment with hydrogen-rich water totally prevented the negative effects. And to put this in perspective, again, there's no clinical trial on this. This is the animal and cell culture, but I think the results are somewhat transferable according to the other studies. If you drink or, or you can take your hydrogen in the morning before you go out into the bustling city of exhaust and pollution and all the environmental contaminants you're going to expose yourself to, maybe that molecular hydrogen is going to prevent some of those pathological changes to your, your DNA epigenetically or your cells and, and, and other ways and really help benefit you. I know there's a, a lot of NFL teams listening to Bulletproof Radio. Uh, I've had the, the fortune to, uh, uh, to, to chat with some of them uh, just about you know, what, what they're doing. And if I was going to go out there and potentially get hit in the head uh, in a sport, I would be pre-treating with hydrogen because it doesn't really cost you anything. Like the risk is very, very low. I'd also be making sure I have ketones present because there's really clear evidence that ketosis is going to be very helpful if you have an injury in the brain. And I'd upregulate the crap out of my mitochondrial function. Things like uh, keto prime, things like unfair advantage. You know, those are bulletproof products I make for that. I'd be on a high polyphenol diet. Uh, things like that, just so that you have uh, uh, everything that you need to have highly functioning mitochondria without huge amounts of free radical damage if you do take a hit. The same thing goes for an MMA fighter. Like, why wouldn't you do this before you go out there? Because if you can uh, inhibit that first inflammatory response, you're probably, even if you do injure your brain, it's probably going to be less of an injury. And there's no guarantee, and this isn't like a, a treatment. It's just like, okay, it, it, you put your seatbelt on before you go for a drive in your car. It doesn't mean you're not going to get injured. Uh, it doesn't mean it'll prevent an accident, but it it hopefully reduces the damage. And I I just I think we might yeah. all want to do this. What would you do, Tyler? And you fly all over the world. I know you're really doing a lot of work to put hydrogen on the map. Uh, what would you do before or after a long flight? Again, when you're exposed to the radiation and different things, um, it may be a good idea to take hydrogen. Maybe some of the radiation is uh, hormetic, a little beneficial for you. Uh, maybe we need more research on that, but. Assuming that their toxicity, especially from chronic prolonged exposure, maybe for pilots and different things, that potentially could end up being problematic. And some people are likely more sensitive to others. So 
when we look at the the studies on hydrogen preventing against the damage from radiation, there's a lot of them. And in fact, that's why uh, NASA um, had been interested in, you know, not NASA, but, but some people at NASA, for example, who are in this field, very interested in looking at hydrogen to help protect the astronauts during their space travel to help mitigate the toxic effects of the radiation. So taking hydrogen-rich water or inhalation before your flight, before you get up in the air, could be a potential way to help mitigate that, that radiation-induced damage, mitigate the increase in 80HDG, the marker of DNA damage. All right, we're talking about radiation. We're talking about hydrogen. There is a dark side of hydrogen, so-called heavy hydrogen or deuterium. Uh, you know, one of actually both of my grandparents uh, spent time working on uh, nuclear power. My grandmother has an advanced degree in nuclear engineering, and uh, so like this is the kind of dinner table conversation that would have happened <laughs> at family uh-huh. reunions. Uh, yes, I have a weird family, uh, but. What's your take on the the fact that that the hydrogen we breathe, hydrogen we're exposed to, although I guess we breathe less of it, but hydrogen we're exposed to, particularly when we're drinking water or eating food, uh, can have heavy hydrogen isotopes in it? You know, it's not my area of expertise. Okay. Um, it is it is interesting. There may be when, when you consider the fact that uh, the isotopic effect of hydrogen is significant because hydrogen is already the the lightest molecule element there is. We, we can actually use that uh, the kinetic differences of deuterium to preferentially produce certain organic compounds versus another one. And so you can imagine, uh, hypothetically, again, there's probably more research on this, I'm not sure, but if, if more deuterium atoms are utilized in DNA, then that can alter the ability to, to transcribe uh, our, or translate our DNA and maybe has other issues with the whole entire transcription in general of our DNA. And I know it had been suggested that perhaps the mitochondria can be considered a deuterium-depleting organelle. In other words, when we eat good food, such as our our good fats, then most of those actually have low deuterium content as opposed to your refined sugars due to the process of making the food from the water in the first place. Um, it's a preferential discharge due to the electron transfer in the food making in general and in the, in the initial stage. But point is, is the mitochondria may help to deplete the the cell of the deuterium and then the to use through the pentose phosphate pathway, you may be able to have more of the substrates that are also deuterium free and those that in turn are used for uh, substrates for DNA production. Now, is, is there a correlation relation with hydrogen? Um, maybe. Maybe um, if, for example, hydrogen gas did react with a hydroxyl radical, your byproduct would simply be water, and all of that would be protium in the form of you know, non, non-heavy water. And secondly, hydrogen gas has great effects on the mitochondria. And so if we're talking about improving the mitochondria as well as improving, increasing the number of mitochondrial biogenesis, then we're also talking about that benefit. Just going to the athlete thing really quick about the concussion and and traumatic brain injury, not only should they be taking it to help prevent those potential problems, but hydrogen appears to be rather ergogenic when we look at the the human studies and animal studies on hydrogen as an ergogenic aid. I would think for people who are looking to recover more quickly from a heavy workout, like breathing some hydrogen just seems like a really good idea. I've been investigating the that heavy 
hydrogen isotope thing. I, I looked at a, a bottled water back in 2014. I'm not certain that there's a lot to be done there uh, biologically. Uh, you eat fat, it generally doesn't have that stuff in it, and you you drink you know low quality water or eat a lot of sugar, you're going to get more of it, which is one of the probably five percent difference mechanisms in a high fat diet where you get more calories from burning fat that is naturally depleted by plants or animals versus uh, eating a lot of sugar. Uh, but it it's a, a small thing, probably smaller than just breathing hydrogen, uh, which is, uh, I think, a much bigger thing that no one really talked about, apparently until 1974, when they started these crazy things. And really, no one's talked about until the last couple of years. And that's really been, at least no one in the West, Japan's been looking at it. But you're the, the first guy who's who's really taken this and said, all right, like right, let's look at the core, uh, the core biology about what's going on with hydrogen gas. What can we do with it? And I am to the point where I think there's convincing evidence, really stuff you sent me, <laughs> uh, that, uh, that says, you know, if you can find a way to incorporate into your supplement regimen, at least some of the time when you're in high stress or high radiation or high injury prone environments, there's almost no downside. There's probably a, a reasonable upside and that maybe more research will come out. Is there more research that you can talk about, stuff you're aware of, or ideas that our listeners might be interested in? One, one thing that I think could be interested in is with mild cognitive impairments, or like Alzheimer's disease. And this is, this is quite significant. There was a, the article just published. This was significant. It was a one-year double-blind clinical, you know, clinical trial, placebo-controlled. And just to put this in context, it's very difficult to treat Alzheimer's disease. In fact, there really is no approved medication to treat this. It, it, nothing really actually works. And this study was a one year. It was small, um, maybe about around 100 patients. But what they found was uh, hydrogen was very effective at preventing or slowing down the decrease in the, in the memory recall and and the different assessments used for, for these patients, and, and specifically those with the genotype APOE4. And those genotype APOE4 are more susceptible to Alzheimer's disease. In fact, about 50% of everybody who has Alzheimer's disease uh, are, have that genotype or are a carrier. So if we consider on a grand scale, again, we, we need a larger trial, which is now we're, we're talking about making a very big study, um, and, and and to really see the effects, but if we consider how significant these effects were with with those people who had APOE4, we're talking about helping half of the people with Alzheimer's disease in a very significant way that no current medication can do. Hmm, that seems like it might matter. <laughs> so, uh, and and this is early stage. There will be more evidence. And with all biohacks, when when you decide, look. I'm going to take control of my biology. I could wait 20 years until there's even more evidence, or given that the downside is low and the upside is high, maybe I'll just do it now, especially if I'm at high risk for Alzheimer's. And, and this is one of those things that drives uh, regulators nuts. Like, well, you, you, you can't do it. It might not work. And you're like, hold on a second. I know what's likely to happen if I don't do it. And if the fact that it might not work, I'm okay with that risk because it's not like the hydrogen gas is going to cause harm in any way that we've seen so far. So it's that, that risk reward on a personal basis. That's you know the foundation of being able to be in charge of yourself. And I, I, I like the way you, you think about that, Tyler. 
Yeah, that's the thing. The, the downsides are so low, and it's very rare. It's very rare you can come across a molecule or anything that has such prominent therapeutic potential with such a low toxicity. I mean, hydrogen is already natural. So whether you're 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 a child of one month old, or you're pregnant, or you're really old, that there is no evidence at this point. I'm not saying there isn't any toxic effects, maybe, but we have not seen any clear evidence of contraindications or the toxic effects. And it was, we're already exposed to it. All the time we eat good, healthy meals with fiber, we make more hydrogen gas. So I do think it's something we should really investigate and do the clinical studies. And, and I kind of laugh a little bit about we need a bigger clinical study and the reason, because it reminded me, I just got back from speaking at the Fourth Chinese Biomedical Symposium in China. We we're talking about doing clinical studies. We need to start doing these clinical studies here in America. And one of the reasons why is because in America, people don't know about hydrogen water as much. So we can actually find people to do the study. In Japan, it's, it's estimated, there was a report, it's estimated that over 50% of the Japanese population do use or have used in some way or the other <laughs> hydrogen. So how if you want to do a study, they're looking at about 400 people for the study. How are you going to find 200 people who, who don't take hydrogen and it's got to be for three years, right? You can't take any hydrogen you're either, and you're going to be in either the placebo group or the hydrogen group. And, and with all the research coming out, I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, you know, hey, I, what if I'm in the placebo group? I, I don't want to, I'm not going to risk this. You know, I'm going to take my, I'm going to take hydrogen. And so we, we may, it may be more and more difficult to do some of these double-blinded studies in, in the future and thus the need to come here to America. So that study that's in discussion right now with the International uh, Academic Society of Hydrogen Medicine and Biology, which actually we just formed this organization amongst the European researchers, Chinese, Japan, Japanese, and here. But we, we may actually try to do that study here in the USA simply so because we have access to patients. Just a, a quick shout out to Japan. I was there recently. The Bulletproof Diet actually sold more copies in Japan than in the US, I think, or at least an equal number. Uh, so Japanese are are definitely willing to try new things. I, I was totally blown away. So I went out there to, you know, to sign some books and, and meet uh, Bulletproof fans. And at the airport, I saw four or five different hydrogen water flasks, USB powered, just at the airport, you know, at the little tech stands. So it's definitely become something over there that you see. But here, it's just kind of not not a part of not a part of our awareness yet. And hopefully the show and, and your work, Tyler, is going to is going to get the word out so we can start paying attention to low risk, potentially high reward, maybe different rewards for different people in different situations. So you're, you're a relatively young guy. Um, you, you latched onto this idea with, with uh, just, you know, rabid curiosity, dug in, read all the papers, you travel internationally all over the place to learn more and work with the world's best people. So you're, you're totally moving the needle on this. And I want to ask you, if someone came to you tomorrow and, and said, look, I want to perform at that level, like I want to perform better as a human being, like, like what are the most important things I should know about if I want to you know, kick ass and, and move the needle in a field as much as you have? So like, give me some advice or give our listeners some advice. Three most important things to pay attention to for yourself if you want to have, have whatever you have that makes you do this. That's a great question. I, um, put, put, put me on the spot a little bit. Um, <laughs> I, I don't consider myself to be in the, I wouldn't use the same words to describe myself as you have, and so uh, I feel just a little... call it like I see it, man. You know, you're 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 kicking ass. 
and and you are moving the needle. And I I choose people for the show specifically because they're changing the game in their field because they've done something that that's noteworthy. And I want to know what makes you tick and and what advice would you have as to what you've learned on learning how to do this that other people could use. Yeah, I I guess I can I can try some things that that work work for me and perhaps the principle of what I say can be applied to other areas. There you go. But but I must mention hydrogen. <laughs> um, whether whether that is you actually use hydrogen on a daily basis or the principle of, uh, as you may tell, I'm really quite passionate about hydrogen, and it's something I I really enjoy study. I want to learn about it. I want to educate people. I want to do all I can to better the the human race. And there's a principle in there, and I think that perhaps that principle as a driving force could potentially be just as or even more beneficial than the hydrogen molecule itself. Then another one, I am a very strong believer in exercise. Of course, sometimes I can be an exercise fanatic and I really push myself to see what the human body can actually do. But you don't need to go that far. And I think just getting out and getting some exercise, getting making some free radicals at a small, small level I think is so important, and I think exercise is medicine. And maybe a a third one to kind of balance things out with the secular learning and the physical things is I think there should be a spiritual balance to everyone's life, whether that is just a belief in in God or just the understanding of the the quantum implications of there's so much more than than our mortal, tiny self. There's there's so much more out there. And that's something that we should recognize, that we should induce reflection, meditation, and to put things in perspective. And I think as we do that, it may allow us to have better focus, to do better in all other aspects of our lives, and just just keep ourselves grateful and humble and help helping other people. I think maybe those three things play a large role in my life. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm basically hearing passion for what you do, exercise and have some spiritual balance or faith and that includes a practice of gratitude. And what a a fantastic list. And it's funny, there are patterns that, that come out from having interviewed almost 500 people, like people who people who change the world, those are quite often on, on their list. And, and you're working to change the world in your own way, just taking a set of knowledge that's in, in some part of a thing, something that you believe is important, and then taking it and spreading it out, uh, which is a huge act of service because I fundamentally believe that when people understand what they can do uh, to be better people, that they'll actually do it, especially if it's not that much work. And that when you do a little bit to make yourself better, we're all wired to be nice to each other at least if our basic stuff works, right? So anytime you do something that makes your stuff work better, you're naturally as a byproduct nicer to the people around you, which makes it easier to practice the other pieces of advice you just had there. So so thanks for doing what you're doing, uh, Tyler. I, I appreciate just the, the the amazing focus and passion you have on this body of research that, that very few of us in the West have heard about. Uh, so you are doing an act of service by by sharing this and, and I'm grateful for it. There you go. I practiced two of your things right there. Uh, I'll, I'll work out later and then I, I'm good for the day. That's right. Where can people find out more about your work, Tyler? You can visit us on at uh, molecularhydrogenfoundation.org, uh, soon to be molecularhydrogeninstitute.org. Again, we, we are a science-based nonprofit. We don't sell products or make recommendations on, on products. 
But we really try to advance the research and the education and the awareness of hydrogen. But again, right now, molecularhydrogenfoundation.org, and you can read about some of the studies, some of the information on hydrogen, and, and stay up to date. All right. Thanks for your work. Have an awesome day. Thank you, Dave. If you liked today's episode, you know what to do. Head on over to iTunes. Bulletproof.com slash iTunes will take you there. And if you're not a subscriber to the show, subscribe because you hear more cool stuff from people like Tyler. And uh, leave a rating while you're there. Just leave a review, which is a way you can express gratitude and just achieve one of those three goals uh, that uh, Tyler just shared with you. You could also head on over to Tyler's website. And since it's a nonprofit, I'm sure he's accepting donations. And if you're in a position where you can donate to the kind of research that might change your own life or change someone else's life, a little donation to people uh, like Tyler who are working to do core research on our biology that isn't driven by pharmaceutical stuff can make a huge difference. So consider uh, supporting scientific research with your donation dollars. I think that's something worth doing and something that I certainly do by supporting uh, Gerald Pollack's work with water at the University of Washington, for example. Uh, so thank you very much for listening today, and I'll see you on the next episode. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.